This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Hi, Heidi. Hey, Mom. How are you? Oh, good. We just got back from visiting you in New York. Great trip. Great seeing the kids. Yeah, it was. And we went to Camp Widow. Uh, That was great, wasn't it? You know, it was. We were in Myrtle Beach, I think it was last week, and one of the reasons I really loved it is because they had the event at a Marriott, and it was right on the ocean, literally. And the reason I liked that is not only because I love the ocean, but because you're in these incredibly intense workshops that are very healing and there's a lot of loss and then you go out and walk on the ocean and it's very healing and therapeutic. It was amazing. It was great and the people were just uh, wonderful there, um, you know, at all levels of loss and it was, um, it's always inspiring to be around people that are at different levels because of the sport they give back and forth to each other. Absolutely, Mom. And if anyone out there is a widow or a widower, please check out Michelle Neff Hernandez, her organization, which is called Soaring Spirits. And she has these camp widows, what, Mom, twice a year? Yeah, she has one in San Diego in the summer. Well, this is her first New York uh, East Coast camp widow. Mm-hmm. So uh, she's really, you know, her husband died, what, about five years ago? I, and I believe she's yeah. remarried now. By the way, everyone, uh, Michelle is a wonderful writer, and she's in both of our books, Open to Hope Inspirational Stories of Healing After Loss. And we're, um, she's in our holiday book, and we're also releasing a new book for widows on, uh, and widowers for healing after loss. So Michelle's in there, and she's a fabulous writer. So please pick up those books and tell people about it. And remember that all of the proceeds from those books go to the Open to Hope Foundation. Well, you know, Heidi, when you and I speak, we like to talk about uh, things that people can do to release those endorphins and to relax themselves. And I was watching a video made by uh, PBS for our guest and other people. We'll have to ask him who made it in a hospital where they were Mm -hmm. actually using poetry and it was changing. One of the doctors says, for some reason, this changes people's brain chemistry. Like, what are the other things that we say that with? Laughing. If you laugh, it will change the way you feel for 45 minutes, up to 45 minutes. It really increases endorphins and it lowers stress. Absolutely, and we're looking at poetry doing the same thing, so I'm excited to have a show on healing with poetry. Heidi, you want to introduce our guest? Sure, I would love to introduce our guest today. Our guest um, is John Fox, and John is a poet and certified poetry therapist. John is the author of Poetic Medicine, The Healing Art of Poem Making, and Finding What You Didn't Lose. John is president of the Institute for Poetic Medicine a nonprofit organization founded in 2005. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you. It's great to be on, Gloria and Heidi. Hi. It's wonderful to be on. And John's from uh, Northern California, and we were able to have coffee, and he gave me his fabulous book on poetic medicine, The Healing Art of Poem Making. And talking with him and seeing that video, it was it was just really inspiring. I am not a poetry person myself as far as writing, as, as I know I probably could be, but I tend towards uh, the uh, different types of writing. But I know a lot of our audience that's out there either does write poetry or 
they don't know that they can write poetry even. Can you talk to that? Sure. Certainly, some people have already been drawn to poetry and, and write it, and others may feel that they're not either capable of it or it's, it's not something that really appeals to them. And so my work really is to meet both of those groups in a way that perhaps helps them to, to deepen their connection with that creative voice that's inside the, the book, first book I wrote was called Finding What You Didn't Lose. <laughs> and it's sort of a play on words, of course. It comes from a little poem by E. Cummings, The Trick of Finding What You Didn't Lose. Existing's tricky, but to live's a gift. Mm-hmm. And what I, I've done a lot of work, Gloria and Heidi, with, with children. And so working with kids who are like in maybe like third, fourth, fifth grade, they have this natural propensity um, to, to be creative and to be willing to sort of play around with words and, mm-hmm. and to try things out. Um, there's a poem that was sent to me recently written by an eight-year-old, and it's just a, it's a little haiku, and it goes like this. One morning when the birds were singing, I had another heart in me. Mm. One morning when the birds were singing, I had another heart in me. And so that's an eight-year-old. And mm-hmm. my, my, my belief and my, how I approach this is that adults also, you know, were eight. They were seven. They were nine. And, and sometimes um, adults have had, in fact, too often, um, perhaps a negative experience around their creative writing. And I remember one time I was working with a group of kids, and a teacher told me before this class, she said, this child has trouble with language. Of course, I didn't know what she meant. I didn't know specifically what that trouble might be. But I was more interested in just sort of giving this child some room and some space to sort of discover something. So I had a big bowl of words and um, just asked the kids to pluck some words out of the bowl on little pieces of cardstock so they could pluck the words out and then shape them into a poem. What a great idea. It's a wonderful way to have to think of the words. I mean, you can, you can mm-hmm. add words, of course, you can change them, but, but you sort of got the support, like treating words more like they're, like you don't have to create the color green or blue or yellow, you have them. So these words are there. So this child, within moments, I mean like seven minutes, made this little poem. It's kind of an odd little poem, but it's, but it's beautiful. She said, Grandmother, acting like a child, climbed the apple tree in winter. <laughs> but, you know, Heidi, that makes me think of, Heidi and I are always thinking of uh, Ritual, John, to help people. And I'm thinking, my goodness, that would be so interesting to maybe have a party or a memorial and have everybody put something in that they remembered, it, words that they remembered about the person. Maybe just one word. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I like that idea. And I like this on the website, John. You have a poetic medicine bag because I don't think of someone that can write poetry, and you're saying, you know, grab a pen and paper and try these exercises and just try it out. playing just with words start. like you're talking about and like my mom's talking about. So, so yeah, this, girl, this child at Megan, you know, her poem was um, uh, uh, wonderful, so imaginative. And mm-hmm. so in meeting adults, I, I feel like I meet that place in them that also um, has got that imagination, even though they may feel, well, this isn't for me, or I don't, I don't think I can do this. And and we just um, create a safe place uh, and 
if I can say even a sacred place where people can feel that their words matter. And so adults can begin to um, express themselves. And, and the other thing I think that's very relevant to Open for Hope Foundation and the work you're doing is I meet so many adults who at a time in their life when they've experienced a great loss or are grieving, some, sometimes poetry just comes up just of itself mm-hmm. because there's nothing else that we'll do. We don't have to say everything in a poem. We can just indicate or suggest. We can put a feeling into a poem. And we don't have to explain it all the way through. And I feel that, um, you know, my work is to make poetry more accessible to people and to give it this perhaps deeper purpose of saying that it, it, it can relate to our lives. It doesn't have to be about some abstract thing. It can actually be about, you know, a child writing about the loss of her, um, the loss of her dog to um, being hit by a car. Oh, uh, you know, I was thinking about the CD that you uh, let me take about uh, the hospital and taking poetry yes. actually into the hospital. Yes. That was a pretty amazing thing. I mean, there was one girl in bed who couldn't had trouble moving and yeah. and is you know speaking the poetry basically. Yeah, yeah. Well, she um, that's Burtis. The film is called Healing Words, Poetry and Medicine, and it was made by Dr. David Watts and his wife Joan Baranow and been broadcast many times on PBS, but in that scene, Gloria, a young woman, an African-American woman, Burtis, with sickle cell anemia, which is a very painful condition, she has been, since a a child, been dancing with this dance movement therapist at the hospital, Jill Sonke, and so I joined in as a guest, and as I watched them move together, and as Burtis moved, it was Jill who followed her movements moving her arms in a very beautiful way. And then I just had this line that came to me, watching them dance together, and there was just three words I gave them. I said, when we dance, when we dance, Mm. dot, dot, dot. And then they could add on from there. And Burtis, one of the things she said, when we dance, I feel like it's a dream. When we dance, I feel like I'm floating on a cloud. And in fact, if you watch your movements, you see, yes. And by the way, this is a girl who's lying in bed in a hospital, and and I know sickle cell anemia is very, very painful, and she is dancing, and you are putting it to poetry, and she's putting it with you. It was really very, very touching. Do you ever do anything with families? Can families help each other through poetry with a loss, do you think? Can teens do something with their parents? Is there some way to interact through poetry? Oh, absolutely. Um, just, I'm just going to add one note about the about Burtis, and okay. you mentioned endorphins in the introduction. Yes, right. And I think that's where, like, to have an image, like, I feel like I'm floating on a cloud. I feel like it's a dream. It's like that's that that sense of the imagination, what's happening for her, puts her in a place where the pain is is set as, is um, set aside. I can't say that it's gone, but 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 the images of the poem itself help Burtis to to be to sort of be in a, a place that's not exactly in that place of pain and to release those hormones that that alleviate pain I mean I am amazed when the doctor was talking about that he's like I don't know how it works but I will tell you something I believe that the hormones are being released you know well, you, you know in that same that same film Gloria there's a doctor John Graham Pohl who's the founder of that arts and medicine program and he says 
he does mention the thing about the endorphins and the that sort of chemistry, but he also says, and I know this is also about community, mm-hmm. and there's something very sort of essential and sacred in that sense. And so when people share together, um, there, there's this another scene in that film where a, a Vietnam veteran, and, um, you know, thinking about loss, he's basically lost the use of his heart. He's waiting for a heart transplant. Um, but in, in the film, there's this moment where he, he basically goes through a catharsis. He breaks down. He says, I don't believe I'm worthy of this new heart because of what I've done. Mm, as a right. as a soldier in Vietnam, and he's so overcome that I feel that I don't want him to try to write this down. So I just hock myself right close to his knee and I write as he speaks. And so I'm writing down his words in a form that hold like a poem. And I asked him his permission to read it to the group. And so I read his his poem to the group, which I can't say right now, but it it basically. He offers himself and says, I don't know if I'm worthy of this. But then you see in the film the woman next to him, who's also a patient, holding his hand as the poem is spoken. Mm-hmm. And you don't see this in the film, but later, because he, he was ready to do more work, I went back to his hospital room, and Jack wrote another poem or spoke another poem about, and this is, this is a delightful line, kibitzing with my new heart, <laughs> kibitzing with my new heart. And then another line in that poem, that second poem, it's in the heart where art starts. Uh-huh. I the heart. It's in the heart where art starts. So feeling like he had moved, he had moved um, from this, you know, place of near despair, but being held in the community of other people who could hear his voice. And and so, but the poem gave us a um, a, a way. To, to share that meaningful connection. Well, that's great. Now, how can we help families do that poetry? Well, I think we can have um, sort of families write together and just hear each other mm-hmm. around, and people are going to come from different perspectives and have different feelings, but that's how we get to know each other. And then I think life feels more real that way, more authentic. You know, yeah. You know, I just wanted to to go to something really quickly about symbols because I think um, people who've had suffered a loss, John, I just see them having a lot of dreams and symbols and things. And I think it was yeah. really neat looking at your book how people could take that symbol, like like wow. we find dimes or something. How can mm-hmm. you take that symbol and make a little poem out of it? Absolutely. Uh, you know, maybe there's a bridge that appears in your poem, or maybe. Um, there's like like finding that shiny dime on the and so I would say just to take that um, object um, in this case and just sort of unpack it let it see what does it have to say to you what is what what's the message underlying it if you and it's interesting because with poetry we can do approach things in a different way we don't have to get a microscope out and kind of analyze it we can sort of put it in our hand and and feel what it has to say. I don't know if it would be okay to share a poem of someone who wrote um, sort of with, a, with an object that was dear to somebody who he, his wife who had died. 
Sure. Can you do a few stanzas and not the whole thing? Yes. It's actually, it's not a long poem. Okay. And and I would say to our audience out there, I would suggest that you think of your own symbols while John is doing this. And I would kind of give you a little challenge today after you listen to the show to think of one symbol that reminds you of your loved ones and write a little something about it. So go ahead. Also, also it sounds like, Mom, what John is saying too, what you're saying is that while John is reading this, it can be a way for us to release emotions. We don't even have to write our own poetry. We can also just listen with an open heart to someone else's poetry. Uh, true, true. Heidi, absolutely. That's kind of the two sort of wings of, the, of poetry as therapy, poetry as healer. It's like there's the expressive wing, which is what Glory was talking about, of, of writing something. And then there's the sort of invoking way where just of allowing a poem that you hear to sort of you know, rest in a place that gives you some sense of connection or peace. So um, it's like in-breathing. Oh, I like that analogy, yeah. And, uh, wow, talk about helping your endorphins. Nothing like breathing. Maybe it's breath work, but while you're doing it, great. So, so here's this poem called Square Black Box. And it's, it's actually it's a symbol, but it's actually an actual object that this man, Bill Stephenson, had that he kept close to him following the death of his wife. And Bill said, after 21 years of marriage, my wife developed an illness that was sudden severe, mysterious to doctors, and ultimately unstoppable. Her death left me in a devastation of loss and denial. But seven years later, in writing this poem, I realized that the black box I kept with me so long was a small, tangible means of summoning up the intangible. So this is this poem called Square Black Box. And maybe people could just think of an object that is dear to them, maybe was belonged to somebody who they loved or cared about. Square Black Box. Tiny, lidded, empty, long-time companion, hard-edged in my pocket, a gift remaining to me, though my wife has died, who was its giver. So long a companion, the lid has scratched dim. Hear me, relic, holder of her memory even now. Become my sacred vessel, too. Hold my inner emptiness in yours. And from your darkness, bring me expanding vision. That emptiness is truly infinite space where all things are possible, where these scratched and faded flowers blossom bright again, and where lost love is to be found and held in a grasp as safe and close as my fingers have when they hold tight to your four corners. Mm, That's wonderful. Yeah. He says, the memories that had dimmed were suddenly vivid again, just as the imagination brought back the original colors of the flowers in the box. Memories of happy times came flooding back. And I thought what I thought only were to contain pain and regret. The poem flowed onto my notebook page naturally and unstoppable, un- unstoppably. I think the important thing is that when Bill wrote that, he was able to bring it back. It was at a retreat I was leading. He was bring, able to bring it back and share it and have others hear it and be witness to it and in some way, in some real way, be um, sort of kind of, rain for those roots of of rediscovering a connection. Wow, what's wonderful. John, uh, I want to make sure before we end the show that we get all your information in. So tell us, I know you've got a great website and you do retreats. Talk talk to us about what you're up to. Sure. Um, yeah, my website is poeticmedicine.org and the Institute for Poetic Medicines helps to fund projects around the country of people using poetry um, in all kinds of different ways. And then I, I actually work a lot in hospitals, and I work with uh, people involved with hospice 
Um, and if people are interested in finding out more, they can go and find my schedule on the homepage of that website, of the Poetic Medicine website. And I, your book is fantastic, and I want everyone to know that it's not strictly a book of poetry. It's all mixed in with information to help you to learn how to write your own poetry for those who people who do write it to give them an opportunity right um, to see it. Yeah, yeah. And there's there's stories by people, Gloria, that uh, people and people who have never written before, and some people maybe who are recovering that sense of the writer, but. So there's stories, and I wanted to be a give a sense of community, so people could feel like, well, this could be me also. Yeah, it's a wonderful book, and Poetic Medicine: The Healing Art of Poem Making by John Fox. And how do they find it? Um, they, well, they can go to my website to the books and media section, or certainly it'd be available. It's available on Amazon, or you know, if you have a favorite bookstore, it can be ordered if it's not if it's not there. They've been, I think they're in its like 14th and 15th printing. So they're, you know, um, certainly are still available. And that film is the Healing Words Poetry and Medicine that can also be found on the books and media section of the Poetic Medicine website. They're both wonderful, and I highly recommend them. Well, thank you so much, John, for being on the show today. Thank you for having me on the show. Best to you both. Thanks, John. Thank you, Heidi. Well, Heidi, boy, what an interesting show. And I, I love the fact of what you can do with poetry. It changes you. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love the idea that you do not have to have ever written poetry, that this organization and John will help you get in touch with your inner poet that's in there, and he'll give you ideas on how to start doing that. Absolutely. And Heidi and I want to remind you that to stay open to hope because uh, we can do it together. And tune in again next week. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.